Father, we thank you again for this opportunity that you've granted to us to gather together as your people in the name of Christ under your word. And we pray now that as we, as we ponder, as we reflect on your words to us as your people, that you would humble our hearts, you would be actively working by your spirit, by this word, helping us all to better understand the love that you have shown us, that we might be shaped by it and be responding accordingly. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. What do you look to for reassurance that God is for you and not against you? What do you look to for reassurance that God is for you and not against you? That he loves you and he cares for you each day as your Heavenly Father. A mistake I think we can often make as Christians is looking to our everyday circumstances for assurance that God loves us. We're having a good week. God is being so kind to me. His love for me is so clear. We're having a bad week. Well, God is clearly not for me. He doesn't love me that much after all. You know, one area where I've seen that kind of attitude to God in my life personally has been in the way I pray at times. There are the good days. Wake up in the morning after a great sleep. The dog didn't wake me up once in the night, or my son Josiah for that matter. It's great weather. It's cloudy, warm, dry, not too hot, just right. There's no rain. Traffic is light on the way to work. No one cuts me up. I get into the office and Andrew has made me my favorite brew of coffee. It's just sitting on the table. Wonderful. All my meetings go as planned that day. Uh, The people I'm meeting with, they're a joy to be with. Managed to get all of my work done on time. It's a great working day. Head home, have a delicious dinner with my wife, Melissa. She's had a great day. Josiah's in a good mood. And we have a lovely evening together as a family. So I go to bed that night and get down on my knees by my bedside and I pray with, with great enthusiasm. Father, you are so loving and compassionate. Your loving care is higher than the tallest mountains. Thank you for the joy and privilege of serving you. Praise to you forever and ever for such a great day. You're an awesome God of such great love. Amen put my head on the pillow, and I go sadly to sleep. And then there are the bad days. Get up, I've got a massive headache. It's raining outside. I get into the car, traffic is bad because of the rain. A bike clips my side mirror again because of the rain. I get in late to work because of the rain. Half of my meetings end up being cancelled. The rest run late because of the rain. I get half of what I plan to get done done that day, head home. Now there are roadworks on Jalantun Razak, again because a water main burst because of the rain. Melissa's had an equally awful day. There's no food in the fridge. Domino's takes two hours to deliver cold, hardened pizza. I get ready for bed that night. I sit down and I pray. Oh, dear God, awkward silence. Keeps on going. And then... Uh, Please help me to get a good night's sleep. Amen. (laughs) You know what this kind of pattern of prayer was showing up in my life? You know, praising and thanking God on a good day. 
having so little to say to him at the end of a bad one? Well, that fickle attitude in prayer showed that I was moving away from the sure foundation by which we know God loves us and that he is worthy of our praise and thanks at all times. And instead, I was trusting in my own personal circumstances for assurance of whether God loves me or not. A very unsteady foundation to trust in. Well, this morning, we're continuing our series looking at different aspects of the cross. And we're looking at the sure foundation this morning that we do have as God's people. The way in which God has demonstrated his love for us unquestionably, whatever week we might be having. As we reflect on Romans 5, and we're going to be looking particularly at verses 6 to 8 this morning. Let me read them from verse, uh, from verse 6, Romans chapter 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I read a story once about a little boy whose sister was very ill. The doctors needed to give her blood uh, very quickly. And because of the nature of her illness and her specific blood type, donors were scarce. In fact, it was really just her little brother who was in a position to donate blood for her. So the doctors and the parents, they approached the issue with him, him being young, very carefully. They explained these things to this little boy, asked if he would be willing to donate blood to save his sister's life. And the boy hesitated. His lower lip trembled a bit as he heard the news. But after a little while, he he came around. He said, okay, all right, let's do it. Soon he was lying on the couch quietly at the hospital, uh, giving blood for his sister. The ordeal was almost over when his brave little voice broke the silence and and he said to his mum, sitting by him, Mum, when do I die? Mum, when do I die? See, this little boy had actually thought that in him giving blood for his sister in this transfusion, he was going to die. He was giving up his life for her. But he did that willingly because he loved her enough even to die. The death of Jesus shows us that God loves us. He loves us enough to die for us. That's pretty amazing. In our world, we hear stories of people laying down their lives for others. It doesn't happen every day, but it does happen. But normally that person who's making that sacrifice believes or at least hopes that the people they are laying their lives down for are worthy of such a sacrifice. You know, if Marva Teresa was still alive, 20 years old, and you knew that she had a lifetime of incredible service ahead of her, would you die for her if needed? Maybe. Maybe not. What about the man who shot two policemen in cold blood last week in downtown KL? Would we lay down our life for him? I I doubt it. In fact, I'd be surprised if there's anyone in this, in this cathedral building who would trade their life for the life of a criminal on the run. 
See where we read in verse 7 again. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But friends, this is what we need to understand if we're going to appreciate just how great God's love is for us at the cross. Before Jesus' death applied to us, God saw us more the way we see that criminal rather than the way that we see Mother Teresa. Now, we might compare ourselves to one another and think, you know, we're pretty okay. And yet before God, who sees our hearts, who sees all our deeds, our lives are filthy. You know, the end of verse 6 describes what we were apart from Christ, the ungodly. We weren't morally like God at all. We weren't like him at heart and we weren't like him in our behavior. I'm sure we can call, recall times where instead of loving others as he commands, we mistreated them. We failed to give them the respect and honor they deserve as human beings. And instead, we, we've used people in the past for our own ends. And we've been used by people for their own ends. Instead of loving God, in many ways, we mistreated him. We've not given him the worship and honor and obedience that is due to him because he made us, because he's our Lord. Uh, we, we were the ungodly. And yet the end of verse 6 tells us Christ died for the ungodly. Come to the end of verse 8. We're called while we were still sinners. In other words, people who have missed the mark, who have failed to live by God's standards, who have rebelled, who, like Frank Sinatra, have said to God, I did it my way. I will live the way I want to. I want to live the way I like or the way other people tell me to live, but I don't want to live your way, Lord. I don't want you ruling my life. might not say that consciously, but our behavior often speaks in that direction. We're all done this. I've done it. We all have. We all know that we've done things wrong. Who hasn't done anything wrong? In fact, if we say we haven't done anything wrong, then we're lying and that's wrong. Friends, every time we do something wrong, we're saying again to God, actually, I'm the boss. We sin and we insult him. And we ruin the world that he made for us to live under his provision and under his loving authority. We harm others made in his image as we are harmed by them. And God takes every one of those things personally. Sin has its punishment. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. Death under the judgment of God. Death being forsaken by God. Because as we say no to relationship with God on his terms, he has the right to say no to us. And yet the Bible in verse 8 says at the end, again, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Third way these verses describe us is in verse 6 again. While we were still weak, that's just another word for actually powerless, helpless. You see, this sin problem that we have, this addiction to rejecting God as our Lord, is something we ourselves cannot get out of. We cannot stop ourselves. And if you don't believe me, well, anyone is welcome to try it. Try to be completely truthful and honest. 
to be pure in your thinking, to not be selfish, to love God with all your soul, mind, heart, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself perfectly. Try it for a week. Try it for a day. Try it for an hour. I know I would fail. And even if we could stop sinning tomorrow, what are we going to do with our past? If the man who killed those cops in KL is caught this evening, there's going to be no point in him going to the court, to the judge, and telling him, oh, I'm never going to kill anyone ever again, so please just let me go. Now, he's still got to pay for what he did, that crime. Well, the crime of our sin has to be paid for somehow as well. Friends, as we can see, the picture that these verses paint of us and the state of our lives before the death of Jesus applied is not a pretty one, is it? We are those who are ungodly, who are sinners, heading for death and judgment. And we're powerless, we're weak. We won't do anything about it. Yet you see, friends, at just the right time, when we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now that's love, isn't it? Should have been us at the cross. We're the ones guilty of sin, and yet we're the ones who are ungodly, and yet Jesus, God, come to be with us as a man, shows us the love of his Father to ungodly sinners by going and dying in our place on our behalf, willingly taking our sin, our guilt, our punishment, our death, our judgment, our curse, as he hung there on the cross, what we're going to be remembering particularly next week at Easter. Jesus took our place. He spent eternity in a moment under the wrath of God so that we would not have to. In the death of Jesus, God took his own wrath and he turned it inwards. He substituted himself. And he didn't do it because we are good. We weren't. He didn't do it because we're powerful and we can somehow in and of ourselves live a life that Jesus lived. We can't. And he didn't do it because we're worthy. We're not. He did it because he loves us. Why does he love us? I don't know. I cannot imagine why an infinite, powerful, holy God like him should love a guilty, helpless sinner like me. But I know that it must be because of the kind of person that he is, not the kind of person that I am. Why does he love me? I don't know. But I do know that he loves me. I have a total assurance that he loves me because that assurance is on the basis of what he has done, not on anything I'm experiencing or what I'm doing. I know he loves me because Jesus died in my place at the cross. And if someone did that for me, knowing all there is to know about me, knowing my heart, knowing full well that I am completely unworthy of that great sacrifice, then he must really, really love me. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died 
to demonstrate that God really does love us and that the cross and his resurrection is now the foundation for us to be free of sin, to know God again as our Heavenly Father, to enjoy the relationship we were made for, to enjoy him and his rest in this life and forevermore. So two key things I want us to keep in mind in the light of God's certain love to us as his people by the cross. Firstly, how we relate to God himself. And then secondly, we'll look at how we relate to one another, how we relate to God himself. I imagine quite a few of us have seen the wartime film Saving Private Ryan. Your hand up if you've seen that film. Yeah, quite a few. Okay. Well, I'll just give you the plot line very quickly just in case. It's set in World War II. Seven, I think, American soldiers led by the guy played by Tom Hanks, Captain John Miller, have to wade through war-torn France to find and rescue Private Ryan because his four other brothers have been killed in other battles and the military want to get Ryan back home safely to his mum as quickly as possible. So these seven soldiers are set with an incredibly difficult mission to wade through Normandy, through all the battles to find this one man and bring him home safe. Well, they are successful in their mission, but none of them in the end survive. Only Ryan is able to go home unscathed. And in the final scene, Captain John Miller, uh, dying from his wounds, speaks to Private James Ryan, having secured his rescue, got him to the right side of the line. John Miller says to him these two words, Earn this. Earn this. He tells Ryan, you must now earn the sacrifice that he and his men had given in laying down their lives to save him. And those two words haunt Ryan for the rest of his life. Because as the film ends, we see him as an old man in tears before the grave of Captain John Miller. He's full of worry and fear that he had failed. He had failed to live a life worthy of the deaths of seven men. Friends, we must never try, like Ryan, to earn our salvation that God has granted us at the cross. Because if we do, then like him, we will be full of fear and worry over all the ways that we constantly fail to honor God as our God. The cross is God's message to us that we can't earn our acceptance with him. In love, he gave his only son to be born, to live and die and rise again so that we might be cleansed of our sin and have the hope of life eternal with him. It's such a crucial mistake to put our security in being right before God and our relationship with him in anything but the cross where Jesus died. The godly living is a part of the Christian life, but it is not the means by which we are put right with God. We live for God now because he has saved us in Jesus to know and enjoy him rather than the misery of sin that was leading us to death and judgment. And those who truly depend on Jesus as Lord, well, we will express it in the way that we live. But our security from start to finish is in the cross. It's what sets apart Christianity from every other religion in the world that will tell you, do, 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 do. And God will accept you at the end of the day. No, Christianity says, it's done. It's paid for. 
Christ has died, Christ has risen, your life is hidden in him. So keep on trusting in him from the first day to the last. We're justified by faith, declared right before God, not by what we do, but by what he has done to us in his love for us in Christ. Do we believe that? Do we have that kind of assurance in our relationship with God? Here's one way you'll know. What is your instinctive reaction when you know you've done something wrong? You've sinned against God, your fellow man. What's our instinctive reaction? Do we, do we get really depressed? Do we say to ourselves, God could not accept me now. Not that I did that thing or said those words or fought those thoughts. Or alternatively, do we just simply resolve to try harder? Tell, tell God, look, look, I'll make it up to you somehow. I'll just work harder on that one thing and, and then I know you'll be pleased with me again. Friends, our acceptance before God never depended on us, on our qualities, on our goodness. If it did, we'd be lost. Now, we must always see our sin where it's been paid for at the cross, where God in his love and his justice granted us that perfect salvation by the blood of his son. When we sin, we repent in faith. We go back to the cross We trust again in Jesus and ask God to forgive us on the basis of what he has done. And as we do that, as we depend on Jesus and not ourselves, and so love him more rather than obsess with ourselves more, we will seek to honor him rather than the sin that he's rescued us from. Always go back to the cross, especially in those times when we fail. Times when we're doing well, go back to the cross. Don't get puffed up in pride. Remember, we're saved by grace. Secondly, what about how we're to relate to one another, given the way that God has loved us? You've got some verses in your outline, just at the bottom. I'll just read them. It's from 1 John 4, 9 to 11. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Since God so loved us, the response is that we also ought to love as he has loved us. That's the evidence that we are recipients of his love, a life transformed by it knowing we're now secure in Christ and we're free to love and serve him with all that we are. So we're to be eager to love others as we've been loved. We're not talking about a love in terms of warm, fuzzy feelings or butterflies in the stomach or anything like that. We're not expected to feel that way about everybody as Christians. That would be insane. Now what we mean by love is a willingness to put others before ourselves as Christ loved us and died even when we were his enemies. What kind of love does God show us at the cross? I'm just going to mention two qualities. Unconditional, sacrificial. Unconditional. God's love for us doesn't depend on how nice or attractive or desirable we are. He loved us despite the fact that we were unlovely in his eyes. He took us out of the stench of our sins, raised us up with Christ to enjoy the riches of his grace and mercy. Does that reflect the kind of love that we are showing to others? Unconditional? 
It's so easy, isn't it, to love your friends, those who love you in return. Jesus himself said that. We know that. That's, that's, that's very, very comfortable. But what about those that we don't particularly like, that just rub us up the wrong way? Will we serve them in love? Are we willing to spend time, effort, resources, Sharing the good news of Christ with them if they do not know him as Lord or if they're a fellow brother and sister but who just wind you up from time to time. Is it going to be the love of the cross that we show them or the love of the world that says, I'll love you as long as you love me? Well, we're to be a people who are a love of the cross, unconditional to be at peace with one another as far as it depends on us, serving others no matter how they treat us, because that's a genuine mark of a follower of Christ who's genuinely received his love. We read in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 5, Love is patient, kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. When you get home this afternoon, why not take some time to reflect on these verses? But in the place of the word love, put your name instead. Tim is patient and kind. Tim does not envy or boast. Tim is not arrogant or rude. Tim does not insist on his own way. Tim is not irritable or resentful. Well, those of you who know me well know that's not a perfectly true statement. Let's ask ourselves, what areas do we need to allow the love of God to be shaping our attitudes, to be shaping our behavior? Asking God to help us love as we have been loved by him. God's love to us is unconditional. It's because Jesus has met every condition for us. And so we are to serve others with that same attitude. Secondly, Lastly, God's love to us in Jesus is sacrificial. It came at great cost. God gave his one and only son. Jesus, in his love and willingness, in honor of his heavenly father and for our sakes, went to the cross so that we might be forgiven and have eternal life in his name. We will never be able to love anyone like Christ has loved us. But we are to seek to follow in his examples as recipients of his love. One example I remember is quite powerful for me. I had a friend back at uni, uh, back in the UK, uh, and at one point he expressed this Christ-like sacrificial love in the way he related to uh, a friend. Uh, actually, it wasn't even a friend. It was someone that he had just actually met who had come to the church that day, and they got on with him quite well. And uh, This friend had actually invited him to go rock climbing. Uh, in the UK, we don't have decent rocks to climb, so we have these indoor rock climbing clubs. And so he was invited. Uh, now, John was not a sporty person. He had absolutely no time for rock climbing whatsoever. He, he was a guy who was into his books, who was into his movies. But when it came to personal physical exercise and energy, he tried to avoid it at all costs. But here was this guy inviting him to do an activity he had really very little interest in. And John said... Yeah, okay, I will. I've got loads of work to do. I'm not particularly interested in that hobby. But John knew that Jesus had loved him at a great cost. 
And so he decided to change his timetable, his leisure activities, spend one night less with his Christian friends who were into the things he was into, to go rock climbing with this non-Christian guy. And by taking that opportunity, John was able to share the good news of Christ with both this man and a good number of the men and women at that rock climbing club. A few of them, as a result, came to church. All because John chose to serve this man in love and do something he wasn't in him, of himself that interested in. Friends, the more we appreciate the cross, the more we will seek to love and serve others by the cross, following Jesus' example. And I am personally really encouraged by the servant-hearted attitude and love seen in action in so many ways here at SMAC. That is a wonderful assurance because we as a church are to exhibit Christ-like love as God's people saved by his grace. We need to make sure that we keep him, Jesus' death for us, absolutely central in our life together as a church, in the way that we relate to one another. That is the way that God has chosen to love us, to save us, to grow us, to be his people. So that we would be faithful servants of his gospel, instruments of God's love as we show Christ both in our words and our deeds in a world lost in sin that desperately needs to know the love of God from the cross. Let me close with these words of Jesus from John's gospel, chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. And he said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that... When we were unlovely, you loved us. That while we were still sinners who rejected you and your rightful loving rule over our lives, you loved us to the point that, Jesus, you died for us. We thank you so much for the great salvation that you have granted to us your church by your blood spilt for us help us Lord to know that love more closely each day that we would be shaped by it we would be transformed by it we would be exhibiting the love of the cross in all that we do in the way that we treat one another as your people and in the way that we relate to those outside of our body, that we would be disciples who are marked by your love, that by this the world would know us to be yours. And we pray by your grace that you would save many by our witness. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.